The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish. This is Max George. Why? The why is irrelevant. The why is counter to everything the podcaster stands for. His sole aim is chaos. His nectar is despair. Speaking of despair... This movie is a bucket of despair. <laughs> and not in, Unfortunately, not in, in the fun way that a lot of horror movies can be of despair this is a movie that kind of didn't do it for us um so today we are continuing uh a long overdue next installment of our journey into the conjuring verse series this is the fourth episode that we have uh done for the conjuring verse we still haven't gotten up the gall to actually record one for the nun or the curse of la llorona that's gonna be a day we will both rue Yes, yeah, that we might have to like salt the earth and I don't know. It yeah, the, let's just say we don't like those two movies at all, uh, which is a shame because you know the Conjuring verse does really have some good gems. Um, unfortunately, the newest entry into the Conjuring uh, verse, uh, which is the Conjuring, the Devil Made Me Do It, uh, kind of fails on that front. Um, I, fails. I, I, fails is not the right word for how I feel about this movie. See, I I don't hate it as much as you do. I just felt like it was really meh, and that and and that's really a, a a shame considering that you know if if anyone has listened to our previous Conjuring episodes, like we're pretty big fans of the first two films. Like we really dug them. There's a lot I want to get into of why I think this movie is just feels so separated and so distant from the other two. But before we get there, um, let's just kind of give everyone a quick run-through of the movie. Very, very brief. Again, we are a spoiler-indulgent podcast here, so if you want to not have this movie spoiled, please stop listening. Go watch the movie and come back. Yeah, though I would say if if you're going to watch it, we recommend maybe going the HBO route as opposed to spending money to go see it in a theater route. Um, might save you some, some, you know, heartache. Residents of Brookfield were shocked this afternoon by the broad daylight murder of Bruno Sauls. The court accepts the existence of God every time a witness swears to tell the truth. I think it's about time they accept the existence of the devil. I'll take it from here, if that's okay. All right, go ahead. Awesome. We have this quaint little family. The movie opens up with their youngest son is obviously possessed. And as they are going through some exorcisms, the there is a future brother-in-law to this family, Arnie. And he challenges the demon and commands it to kind of take him instead of this little boy who has been possessed up to this point. 
the Warrens are there. There's a police officer. They come and kind of everything is resolved and is a-okay. However, Arnie then, of course, starts to feel this demon inside him because that's what happens when you challenge a demon. This leads to Arnie actually killing somebody and we'll get into kind of that story and how the Warrens then helped him in his defense be the first U.S. case to kind of use the the defense of being demonically possessed. That is one story of the entire movie. And then you kind of branch off into this very hokey, weird, uh, the Warrens are trying to figure out who is possessing Arnie and how. And so it goes on them discovering this very occult, satanic, demonic priestess kind of doing her own thing. And then her and the Warrens kind of start going after each other and at the end of the day it kind of falls apart into a hot mess of this occult woman kind of taking the reins and summoning this demon and it's her fault that Arnie and this boy had become possessed. And uh, a couple other people too. Yeah, I mean that was a lot. That synopsis was a lot. It took a lot out of me. Okay, um, so when we're looking at this movie, just you know, some notable names to kind of throw out there. Uh, it was directed by Michael Chavez, um, who was the director of The Curse of La Llorona. Mm. Um, so it didn't set us up for success too much. The screenplay was by David Leslie Johnson Goldrick, based on a story by James Wan. And, you know, it stars, you know, of course, Patrick Wilson, Vera Farmiga bunch of other people that are less notable honestly the the highlight of 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 the actors would probably just be the little boy who you may have recognized from uh haunting of hill house the kid is uh julian hilliard and this kid is the best and i love him he's like frankie muniz but more cute and current yeah yeah he was the the young version of Luke in uh, Haunting of Hill House. I thought he was, like, adorable and really did a good job of of being a convincing, like, scared kid that is going through some stuff. Uh, I felt like his his work being this, like, possessed kid was really good at the beginning of this film in that cold open. Um, Also, just the other day, I saw, like, an interaction of him on Twitter like he he apparently has a Twitter account that of course you know he it like says like in the name like you know his, his name and it says monitored by his parents. Oh boy! <laughs> it was just funny because someone was like, "Man, I really want this kid to uh, be able to have or be in a movie where the worst thing that happens to him is that he fi- falls off of a seesaw." <laughs> and then his and and then he like quote tweeted it and it was just like, "Can it at least be an evil seesaw?" <laughs> I was like, "Okay, that kid's awesome." Yeah, um, really for me, if we just want to dive into things that are good about this movie, overall, I mean, the Conjuring movies have a ton of money, and so this movie was no exception. Production value was incredible. The set design was amazing. Um, All the costumes, the makeup, everything really was very professionally done, I would say. It was a very Hollywood horror movie. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean... You know, we're we're dealing with uh, you know the newest installment in a horror series that has made billions of dollars. The first horror series to ever do that. So, yeah, like they have money to throw around. 
unfortunately, they're using that more for just the production stuff and not for getting, I don't know, a competent director. <laughs> um, anyway. Well, and like what you were saying, too, for me, that this movie, that the best part was at the very beginning. Yeah, that um, cold open was awesome. This boy did possess very, very well. Um, there was a lot of contortioning going on, which... Um, anyone who's listened to our Anything for Jackson episode would know that we just kind of, that is so weird and bizarre, and so to see it in a a little kid who's possessed. When the movie started out like that, Nathaniel, I was pretty pumped. I was like, okay, they're hitting hard in the first 15 minutes. What's the rest of this going to be like? Oh, yeah. And, well, and, and, and that's definitely something that you know felt true to the Conjuring formula, because you know, if you look at the first two movies, you know, the, the first one started out with Annabelle, and the second one started out with the uh, introduction of um, the the nun, Val- Valak, um, you know, outside of the context of, of the main plot. And so, yeah, I liked having this strong of a, a cold opening. I felt like the, the cold opening had some of the, the best shots in the movie, the best, like, fun little, like, homages to, like, The Exorcist, even. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because like there was even just you know a, a moment where the the priest shows up to help do the exorcism, and he you know, he is holding a briefcase, and it it, it kind of replicated the the shot, that iconic shot with, you know, of, of when uh, our exorcist is going to go visit Regan. So yeah, you know, when that, I I saw this in the theaters, I kind of whispered to everyone, oh, "This is an exorcist homage," and it was like, "Oh yeah, cool." It was very subtle, but it was fun to start out like that. Yeah, yeah, and so, like, right off the bat, started strong. Fizzled after that. But we're Let's, sticking with the pros for a minute here. We're sticking with the pros. Um, Vera Farmiga, Farmiga, don't know how to say your last name, Vera. I think it's Farmiga. You are a queen, because, uh, one, between the two Warrens, Elizabeth is the best, I think. You mean Lorraine? Lorraine, oh my gosh. Vera, however, was not only doing exceptional in her acting, but the set design and the costumes and all of that really kind of made her seem so effortless. I don't know. She's stunning. I I fell in love with her performance and often do. Yeah, she's really great in everything. And by the way, totally not a horror thing at all but she's going to be in the upcoming like hawkeye series for marvel and i'm excited about that because she's great um, yes yeah so she was great awesome stage present really kind of dominated her scenes in the best kind of way we're running out of things nathaniel do you want to share the last one uh yeah i mean there were there were some things that i liked uh such as like i i really liked the design of like the totems I felt like there were there were some really good ideas present here. Um, there were a few, yeah, like shots throughout the movie that were like really creepy or well well constructed, but as a whole, a lot of it was pretty standard, fair kind of possession movie. You know, it, it, if this movie had not been a conjuring movie, you know, it, I, I think it would have arrived and disappeared from theaters with, you know, little fanfare either way. So, you know, it 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 sure was a a horror movie that I watched. Can we cut the crap and just get into the bad stuff? Yes, let's dig in. 
because uh, I have a lot to say about this movie, everybody. I hope you're ready for big ol' servant of Max. Ha! Alright, let's, um, let's let you kick it off. All right. I have things, too. <laughs> for me, I think the biggest offense to The Conjuring is... How I described this to other individuals was... I felt like Conjuring 1 and 2 did so well at what that they were doing... Because they started out in reality. In both of the movies, we have this very down-to-earth family. The movie takes a little bit to allow us to get to know both of the families. And then we see kind of the slow, gradual descent into the horror of this realistic family and the effects of possession on them. You know, that feels very humanistic to me. It made me care about the characters. And it gave me a frame of reference that I could understand and kind of slowly slip into the horror. Yeah, well, it, it makes us actually appreciate what this is doing to this family. Right. And so where I think Conjuring 3 screwed up the most is it flipped that on its head. Um, it started in this very supernatural world with this boy getting possessed by this demon. Um, we didn't know anything about the family. We didn't know anything about the possession story. And the contortion scenes were really intense and good. And there's this scene where the demon kind of is slyly spreading his fingers on, you know, the shower pole. And, and all of that Ooh, was... That scene was great. That set this movie up. And we were already in the supernatural world. So how do you pull out of Supernatural and go back to reality without getting bored? It just, it was a huge miss for me when it came to the, the plot of the movie and starting off at 100% and you don't really know where to go from there. Yes, I think that's a, a great point. Especially because, you know, like, like you said, you know, we get to know the, the families in the previous films. We really get to appreciate them as people and, and get to care about them and all of that. and so. You know, this movie really suffered because really the only characters that we cared about at all were the Warrens, which we already care about them. We don't need another movie that's going like, yeah, cool, these guys. We know. And so the fact that it spent so much time going like, oh, and they have such a sweet love story and all of that. No, because the rest of the characters, the characters that are being affected uh, very personally by these events that are happening were flat and uninteresting because they didn't give us anything to go off of. Yeah, and it, it extended to even the villains, I feel like. Um, you know, we have this demon who's attacking this family, and then Ed and Lorraine find this priest who is supposed to be some occult priest where he studied all the demonic, and they have this very dark talk, and he just happens to give him this grimoire that tells him all about the demon, and then it's this human sacrifice thing and then we find out that the priest this occult priest had a daughter in secret who unfortunately was raised to love the occult and she's the mastermind behind it but we don't really know why she is doing all of this it just everyone felt so shallow and the the next deep individual in the movie were the warrens and we love the warrens this is Movie three, you know? We should, I don't know. Or at least we love the movie Warrens. The real Warrens, eh. Um, but that's a different topic, which we kind of got into in previous episodes, so we don't really need to hit that those, those points again. But 
Yeah, no, I I agree completely because yeah, like like you said, the this villain, especially this driving force behind everything that's happening, is really this like witch lady, right? Yeah, she is, you know, trying to complete this like crazy ritual to get like three souls for hell or something like that. But and like that's not necessarily a bad idea. But the thing is. Like, the reason that this witch is doing everything doesn't make any sense. We're basically told, oh, well, it's not supposed to make sense. The the, the quote that we took mm. for, for our tagline this time was basically just like, Satanists just like to, like, cause chaos. And I can accept that as an idea, as maybe part of their motivation, but, but usually what we have, uh, especially if, like, a very intricate ritual is being performed that involves demonic possession and, and suicide of three people, that's the kind of thing that you want to to have a, a stronger connection with. And and you want to see that this person is doing this for a specific reason. Just like, you know, the, the f- entirety of the film Hereditary was for wealth and power, right? Like, even if it's just that nebulous, that gives us something that, that we can see and appreciate. Absolutely. And if you compare it like you have to against the other movies... You have Valak and you have Bathsheba, these two great villains who really are using other people to get what they want, which is to be, you know, have that true possession of body. That's the demon's aim. And so Valak, I loved the story of him kind of using this poltergeist entity to kind of be his mask. And then Bathsheba, not only, you know, breaking the mom apart, but taking her family with her. They had these logical plans of what they wanted to acquire. And while I can fully submit to the idea that summoning a demon kind of binds it to your will, okay, bitch, what's your will? <laughs> what, what, yeah. what is your purpose here? Nobody likes just anarchy for anarchy's sake. I think sometimes horror movies think that's really scary. But without the motivations, what was she aiming at? Was it revenge? Was it for love? Was it for power and greed? Without knowing any of that, she just becomes a bully. And we think of her as a bully. And this absolute evil that you just have to stop, it just is so shallow for a Conjuring movie, where they've done it before very, very well. Yeah. Yeah, well, and... And also just like like looking at the victims that she's choosing and all of this it also just didn't make it make any sense. Like she almost killed a kid. Why is what you're doing here the soul binding contract that you've created with this demon who we know nothing about so we don't know its intentions. Mm-hmm. Why are you to that point? And if we're made to believe what the movie wants us to it's because she's just evil and chaotic and a satanist and a master satanist and just is a masterpiece of garbage well yeah yeah and 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 like inherently i don't necessarily even mind that that is like the explanation that the warrens are throwing out because that was that that was their mo right like it was vague nebulous satanic threat right that's what they would talk about on tv all the time that's that was the big thing oh d- you know lock up your ouija boards there's a vague menacing satanic threat in america uh, and 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 the so i don't mind if that is the things that the that the warrens are, are saying 
if we have something else come up, if if we have her say, no, I'm not trying to create chaos. I'm trying to give myself immortality or whatever. I don't care what it is as long as it's something that I can actually understand. Um, I also thought it would have been really cool to incorporate some of these really fun set pieces like the totems. And we learned that instead of just this rogue occult daughter, it was this group of witches or this group of, you know, Satanists who tried to summon this demon. They failed. And so now the demon was, you know, maybe using one of their children as bait. You know, I'm going to kind of give them this occult interest so that one day I can possess them fully. Like, give give us a reason to be afraid, not only for the protagonists, but also a little bit for the antagonists. Yeah, yeah. Make make them more rounded characters. So, so all of that was just a big problem. And unfortunately, uh, one thing I actually read about the, the movie is that apparently when they originally shot it, um, they, they had actually, like, the demon itself be a much more significant figure. I don't know necessarily to what extent, uh, but we were actually supposed to see it. It was supposed to have a very iconic look. I think part of the intention was so that they could make another, you know, batch of spinoffs. Um, because, of course, that that's, seems to be their bread and butter these days. But... I do. And, 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 like, do I roll my eyes at that? Sure. But, unfortunately, I think by cutting out this demon almost entirely, what we have is a bunch of stuff that's happening that's kind of demonic possession and kind of the witch just making people do stuff. And it's hard to know where the line is. And, is, yeah, is, the, is she sending out the demon to go do stuff for her? I don't know. I don't know these answers. And that bothers me because, like, I, I usually have a clear understanding. And so, yeah, there's this demon that was, like, a significant figure that they just cut. I don't know what motivated them to do that. I just, you know, saw a snippet of a review with, with the director. It's like, oh, yeah, we had this iconic theme that was going to be totally awesome. We even filmed it, and it just, you know, ended up getting cut because it was, I think they just said it was it was too confusing to have two antagonists. I'm like, <sighs> you, you had two antagonists in the second one. Calm down. Yeah, and then, I mean, for me, I just had this amazing conversation with Josh Bragg in our last episode about, you know, Satanism and what it really means and kind of pulling out of the Satanic panic that we had in the 60s and 70s and really appreciating what it is. And I get that it's a plot point with the Warrens and, you know, they were these Catholic crusaders and very much in their own little mind world of what good and evil looked like mm -hmm. but their descriptions and portrayal of satanism and you know these masters of evil and agents of chaos and they have no moral value and they must be stopped at all costs and and then this poor priest who was this occult priest and his daughter this insinuation that you know his fascination with the occult ruined his daughter i don't know it was that's a lot to unpack and it just was done very distasteful i think and I, I fully understand that the warrens you know probably see satanism like that but without that depth to the characters that stood out in the forefront yeah, no i i agree completely it's it's one of those things where like again it just it stripped away all of the motivations of actual of like an actual person you know, even if you are doing something evil, even if you are making an evil pact with 
a demonic entity and you're doing it for power and you know selfish reasons that actually has motivations it's not just like nebulous 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 yeah and i really think they could have done the story a lot better um we've heard time and time again that the warrens have this really fascinating case about this werewolf demon a demon that likes to present itself as a wolf and i i originally thought that's what this was about that's what they promised us uh in a lot of promotional materials for years and it, they had just like the faintest little moment where the demon that was coming after Arnie could have maybe been portrayed as a, a wolf. But that's a tragedy in some regard because we don't get werewolf demon. But also Arnie's actual story is, like we said earlier, the first case in the United States where demonic possession was attempted to use as a defense. Um you know, this reminded me of the possession of Emily Rose or the possession story of Annalise Michel, where it kind of, we had this budding of science and religion for Annalise Michel, and this we could have had government versus kind of the spiritualism, and we had nothing of that. We, it was a, a love story about Ed and Lorraine. Which, again, we were already sold on their relationship. We don't need to have that more. You, you really kind of hit on, on, honestly, what I think is the biggest point of this movie um, that, that fails. And that is that it, it really ignores this most interesting part of the story, the trial. I, I mean, if, okay, obviously I'm not the, a film writer, I'm not getting hired to, to, to write these scripts or anything like that. But if I were the person to write this script, I would have written it as a legal drama first and foremost, and wouldn't have had the Warrens come in until they meet with the lawyer to talk about the defense. I wouldn't even mention them. Yeah. Like, that is way more interesting. Looking at this murder case, looking at, why did he do it? Why did he, did he just snap? Did he just lose his mind? And then we start to have this kind of stuff fed in. That would be interesting. That is basically what the title of the movie promises us. The devil made me do it. This is not what we're given. That that isn't even the B plot. That's like the C or D plot. Like it, it it becomes so unimportant. It really just turns into the Warrens chasing around this witch uh, and all of that. And, and it's really a, a disservice to the movie because yeah, that that central concept. Like if I if I were pitching this movie and I said, hey, this is a about the first. Uh, court case where the defense was demonic possession boom sold i'm going to go see that movie but when it's well it's the, it's that but we don't actually like really focus on the court case at all we have a couple like tiny moments in the in the court nothing really significant and that's it i would go well then what the hell are you selling me like this is not the movie that you're promising me it's you're you're giving me the least interesting component of of this story and then it kind of you have a note here that i really resonate with not only is it doing that but it's also kind of making the audience rely on past lore to give it some sort of emotional weight or reasons why we should care yes um, annabelle is brought up you know ha well have you met annabelle when you know ed Warren is trying to defend the existence of demons and 
Yeah, to, to the lawyer. He's like, oh yeah, we'll have you over for dinner, have you meet Annabelle, ha ha ha. And then it cuts to her looking freaked out and going, okay, we're going to defend him with this thing. And you're like, what happened? Like, like to me, that, one, that, that, that's promising me like an interesting scene that it doesn't give me. It relies too much on previous lore while making this movie not stand on its own at all. And... The only thing I can assume must have happened, because I'm not shown that scene, is that they, like, I don't know, pulled her out of the forbidden box that no one should ever open. And were like, here, hold her! Oh, hey, she, you feel really creeped out. Oh, Annabelle tried to kill you. Oh, now you can believe us. Like, is that what they did? Because if so, then they're playing very fast and loose with these evil forces that, that they shouldn't be touching. Yeah, it just, it made no sense. And, but but then I also, like, forgot about the lore, too, because, like, as soon as they walked into the the priest's basement that was basically just like their museum, it could have been the same set for all I know. They're like, this is an evil place, you shouldn't have these things. And while we were watching it, we were just, you know, both both my wife and I were just, are you kidding? Have you seen your house? <laughs> this is... This is small potatoes. You have Annabelle. Have you met Annabelle? Like, it just... Oh, it was bonkers. Yeah, it... It was a problem. Another thing that bothered me, and really bothered uh, my wife Taylor, was, like, the whole time, like, outside of that, that cold open, the, the parents of that little boy, and, and you know, and also the parents of this daughter who was engaged to the to uh, Arnie, who, you know, murdered that guy, they're just gone. They're just out of there. Like, whenever they're they're checking out stuff, and when, when they literally are rooting around under the house and find the totem and stuff, they are just not there. And so, like, Taylor especially was just like, where are the parents? This is their house. There are these paranormal investigators just digging around. Why? Where do they go? Because the only other time you see them was, like, day after demonic possession exorcism stuff happens. Time for a barbecue! Like, no, you, you, like, take a minute to, like, I don't know, breathe and go, like, hey, we had something really terrifying happen to us. Maybe we should just, like, sit at home and be a family instead of, like, family barbecue! Flippin' burgers! Well, and then, like, the Warrens turned it into, like, their base camp, I guess? Or headquarters? I don't know. It was so weird. It was so weird. Yeah, it it didn't make a lot of sense. Um, then there's that that whole like other journey that they take, Ugh. you know, that's like three hours away, uh, and are working with the police and find out about the the lesbian girl. It, it never acknowledges openly is lesbian who you know was the first victim of the witch. The police were like real chill about showing them stuff. And, okay, I will say that does actually really happen in real life, unfortunately. There are, like, real, you know, people who are like, I'm psychic, I can help you with this case. And there's a lot of cops who are just like, okay, here we go, let me show you all of this, like, classified information. Um, and that happens all the freaking time. It drives me nuts whenever I hear about that, because uh, it shows uh, a lack of professionalism in, uh, you know looking into the murder of somebody or the, you know, disappearance of somebody. Anyway, that's a hot mess. That shouldn't ever happen in real life, but it does. 
So I'm not going to say that that shouldn't have happened, because obviously it does in real life. But, like, just the way all of that was handled was so corny. Like, just the cop was just like, well, if you can tell me this thing, well, she doesn't do magic tricks. It's this one. Like, I, I don't know. It, like, is is her ability special or is it not? It, you know, should it be handled with kid gloves or should it not? It, it just, it, it, they couldn't decide what they wanted to do and it, it made me laugh. Well, not only there, but like we've talked a little bit about, the witch herself, her powers seemed very kind of ethereal and we never knew what was really happening with them or if it was the demon doing the possession or some sort of voodoo body control. It just was so inconsistent and filled with holes. Early on, whenever we see her doing stuff, she's always at her special altar, I don't know, putting stuff in a cup. And that's how she's able to control Arnie and you know, we get to see all these dramatic scenes. But then when she's controlling Ed, all she has to do is throw some, you know, powder in his face and then just run around. And she can be hiding all over her lair, totally away from her special altar that she needs to do all of her stuff. And it works out just fine. So, which is it? And she just appears out of the darkness. <laughs> well, and also, like, so, so at that point, she seems to be possessing or controlling two people at the same time. Because we also have, like, Arnie is freaking out and stuff at the same time as that's going on. And sure, that makes a dramatic scene, but it doesn't make sense. If she's made this pact with one demon, and, and presumably the demon is the thing that's actually controlling their bodies, did the demon split in two? How is it handling these double, this, this double possession at the same time? Unless it's Legion, which it, I don't think it was, then I don't think that makes that much sense. And so again, it's, it, it was very plot convenient. Whatever the, the, needed to happen in the scene, that's how her powers worked. That's how the demon worked. It just didn't make it, you know, make sense under any scrutiny at all. And then the whole damn thing felt like a love story with Ed and Lorraine. Again, like we talked about, the trial was now plot D, and then the witch and the demon were even plot B and C. But at the end of the day, it was about Ed and Lorraine and how Ed forgot to take his heart medicine, but Lorraine had an extra pill in her little locket, and I was just like, what is this? This is so weird! Well, and and again, like, it's one of those things where we have moments like that in, in the first two Conjuring movies, but that wasn't the A plot in, in those movies. That was, you know, like, hey... You know, this is endearing us to the characters. They kind of leaned into the cheesiness. The, the the ultimate example of that that I can think of is in uh, the second Conjuring movie when Ed sings the Elvis songs to the kids and everyone's just like, oh, he's so great. And Lorraine is just so in love with him. And, you know, like, it's cheesy, but straight up, that moment kind of got to me a little bit. You know, when I watched it the first time, I was like, oh, that's like a sweet moment in this very dark movie, but in this one, whenever it happened, it was just like, okay, I guess you're forgetting the things that are actually going on that matter. No, but yeah, let's 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 hear about you kissing under a pergola again. Again, the the keyword there is again. It, it leaned into making us know that that was going to be some sort of other part of the movie. And oh, how did that pay off? It. Well, he, he built her one at the end. And he pushed 
through the metaphorical darkness and saw true love once more. Ed, you did it. True love. Oh, it was so weird, guys. It's so weird. And again, like I can I can deal with cheesy because basically the how things got wrapped up in the first one is that like mother's love conquers all. Like oh, I, I I give that movie like a nine out of ten. But there there's there's certain kinds of cheesy that works. But this it was disconnected. It didn't fit with the plot. If if mother's love is going to prevail, then it needs to be a mother about motherhood, which the first movie really dealt with a lot. This one it was like. Oh, because this Arnie guy is in love. Maybe we should talk about the, the 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 Warren's love. Not that we buy Arnie's relationship at all, because again, we don't really know anything about him or his fiance, <laughs> or why they live in a house with a bunch of dogs and a weird drunk man. And I don't know it. It and ultimately, at the end of the day, the devil made me do it. It's just a bad name. Like, as soon as I saw that title, you know, it wasn't The Conjuring 3. It was The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. I was like, oh, this movie's going to suck. Uh, and I... and then I and then I saw that, that James Wan wasn't directing it, and I was like, oh, he knows it's going to suck. So let's kind of do what the movie didn't do and give some more people a little bit of background on who Arnie Johnson was. Yes, please. So for the occult corner today, it's not going to be very long or in-depth, because the story, this, what this movie is based on, is actually a very succinct kind of demonic possession story. We've said it a few times, but it was the first USA court case where the defense of demonic possession was used. Um, and the, the context of this all is David Glatzel is a real person who becomes possessed by this monster that is in his house. He keeps saying that he sees this creepy old man following him everywhere he goes. He sees it kind of in the windows, behind the shower curtains, down the hall. It looks like this creepy old man. And the parents don't really think too much of it. They think the kid just doesn't want to do the housework and doesn't want to move in and everything. And so the the possession ramps up and this boy does end up kind of getting three to four lesser or exorcisms by priests in the area. Um, the Warrens are not involved with the David Glatzel situation at all. Um, but similar to what happens in the movie, there is a figure, Arnie Johnson, who kind of provokes the demon and invites him into his own body to spare this boy. And that was from eyewitnesses. So, you know, take it for what it is, you know. Eyewitnesses aren't always the best of witnesses, actually. It's 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 really all about like tongue witnesses. <laughs> that was bad, but I'll give it to you. I'm leaving it in. <laughs> um. So the the movie is fairly striking to the truth. Um. A lot of what we see in the first twenty minutes actually did happen. Um. With a few minor twists and turns, Arnie's possession does kind of ramp up very quickly, and he does kill this landlord who lives with them at this dog pound. Um, however, again, eyewitnesses say Arnie was this kind of deranged beast maniac attacking this poor drunk landlord. Um, so this is kind of where the Warrens come into play. Um, they, they hear about the story, and I think what you said earlier, Nathaniel, has a lot of weight to the Warrens. 
I think they were taking advantage of the time. Satanic Panic was all the rage. Um, and so if they can kind of use that and twist it into their career that they've created, it will help them out. Oh, and, yeah. And so they have this idea that they're going to come talk to Arnie, they're going to go to his defense team and say, plead demonic possession, and we will prove, you know, demons are out there. And it's, I, as I was doing research for all of this, I saw a quote from Ed that said, you know, demons aren't possessing you 24 hours seven days a week and i just thought well that's convenient for any sort of criminal to say that the demonic possessed him it's just crazy the judge threw out the defense it didn't even go through arnie was convicted of manslaughter my favorite thing about all of this though in 2007 um david glatzel and his brother actually sued lorraine where warren and this quote i just think is awesome from his brother it states my brother david glatzel was never possessed. He, along with my family, was manipulated and exploited, something the Warrens were very good at. And along with their author, Gerald Brittle, they conducted a phony story about demons in an attempt to get rich and famous at our expense, and we have evidence to prove it. And do you know what that reminded me of? What? The Amityville horror story, where we have a family who's essentially saying the same thing. This is where the meat of the movie should have been this juxtaposition about the law versus religion or spirituality or personal belief systems and where does those lines cross and where do they meet that would have been fascinating i think that's why the possession of emily rose is so compelling it's scary but it also kind of makes you have this ethical debate within yourself of what do you believe in this situation yeah should this priest go to jail for manslaughter like that was yeah like a great movie. So good. We need to cover it on the podcast. <clears throat> um, so I said I wasn't going to get into like why the con or sorry, why the, the Warrens were just, uh, you know, pokey bunch of con artists. Um, but I think I just wanted to share one thing that like, uh, that, that Taylor actually pointed out, um, you know, cause she was reading a little bit about the case after we watched the movie. Uh, and, and one thing that, that she pointed out was actually just, like, one of the ways that they kind of started to build their reputation, like, early in their career. So, so basically, what they would do is just, they would, like, pull up to, like, old houses. Just, like, cruise around the countryside, pull up to an old house. They would get out. Lorraine would draw the house and then draw, like, a bunch of, like, creepy ghosts and stuff around it. And then they'd go knock on the door and say... You know, basically, like, my wife is a psychic, and she saw all of this, and they'd show them the creepy picture. Can we come in? And that's what they did. Of all of the cheap parlor tricks of, of how to, you know, convince people that, that their house was haunted, you know, yeah, especially if, if you show them this and go, is there anything unusual that's happened in this, uh, in your house in the last ten years? Like, like you know, it was that kind of very basic like mentalist kind of stuff where oh i i sense someone in the audience uh just lost someone oh 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 you lost someone recently I, i'm getting the letter j like it was that kind of thing but it was just like her drawing pictures of people's houses the warrens are very complicated very problematic i think they're charlatans at the end of the day however they've brought kind of this subculture into mainstream media which is cool for you know, horror aficionados such as ourselves. 
But what they do and what they've done is it's pretty scandalous, in my opinion. Um, they were out to make a buck, like we all are at the end of the day. We all want to make our money, uh, but don't take advantage of people to do that. Yeah, I, I just find... I just find that the more I learn about the people, the less I can stand them. And and unfortunately, it, it does kind of slowly taint the, the media that is, you know, like, like the Conjuring movies. You know, like, I like the first two Conjuring movies a lot. But, you know, I have to go in in this version of reality, or, you know, in, in, in this film universe, they're not charlatans. And then I can enjoy this, but I have to, like tell myself that going in or it i spend the whole time just picking apart everything anyway thank you for that occult corner i feel like that definitely filled us in on some of the the key points that the movie totally basically just ignored (laughs) so how do you rank this movie uh as far as screams go i gave it a two Uh, i think the opening scene was very good the Mm -hmm. contortioning of this little boy really unsettled me the moment with the werewolf, if that's what we want to call it, this like dog creature running after Arnie to try and have him kill this guy, uh, that I thought was done pretty cool. That was very Conjuring-esque in terms of presentation. Mm-hmm. That's about it. I wasn't scared of anything up to that point. I gave it a three. Again, yeah, it's, it's mostly coming from the same stuff. There was a few like great creepy moments here and there, but like... <laughs> They weren't especially memorable. There was just like, there's the occasional moment where I'm like, oh, that was cool. I mean, honestly, one of those points, one of those screams is really just the shower curtain hand. Mm-hmm. I was just like, yep, that. Yeah. And then the contortion, yep. And then other than that, eh. Yeah, it just wasn't a very scary movie. And that, that seems to be kind of the, the universal opinion of it. How do you rank it on crowns? Um, I rather detest this movie. Um... I really hate the nun. This made me question my hatred of the nun, which makes me hate it even more. Um, I gave it a two. I was not impressed. You know, if it's the Annabelle spinoff or even the nun or La Llorona, I can accept that they're not in the main series. Like, it's not a conjuring title. Mm-hmm. And because this was one... I my expectations were pretty high and they didn't even come close to touching the expectations. They really failed this one. I so I'm going to give it a 5. Now, I will say it's not you know, a great movie. It's not an awful movie either. I I think it's one of those movies that because it's a conjuring, you know, main series movie I wanted it to be better than it was, but I really had very low expectations because I knew James Bond wasn't directing it, and instead it was going to be Michael Chavez. And, you know, I had already seen The Nun, and I had seen The Curse of La Llorona, and both of those were really, really bad. And so this movie was downright watchable and and coherent and and actually pretty good in comparison to those. But, you know, I, I just knew that it wasn't going to really impress me. When 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 the main director of a series dips out, you know, on the third movie, typically that's a sign that maybe something's wrong with the series, or at least with this installment. But like, or he's getting bored. I, I mean, if the movie was very boring, 
Yeah, and so, like, you know, outside of looking at it as a Conjuring movie, though, it, it, it was... It was decent. Like, I've certainly seen worse movies. I've seen better horror movies. It was... It was okay. Like, you know, I, I didn't regret spending the time that I... Or to, to watch it on HBO. But I would have regretted the time going and seeing it in a theater. So it was like one of those... I'm like, ah, yeah, I watched it. It was entertaining. I was, I was entertained for, for two hours. But it wasn't anything special. So on that bright, shiny note, how have you been staying spooky lately? You know, I watched a movie the other night that I was pretty impressed by. It had a very different vibe to it than what I thought was going to be. I still am thinking about it and trying to decide if I liked it, because it is... It's different. So the movie's called Seder. It's on Shudder. Um, it's about kind of this weird old god, pagan god, but maybe a demon who lives in this wood. And this family who grew up in the woods kind of has a very intimate relationship with it. And the grandma of the family speaks to it and kind of does spirit writing for it. And it was a very cerebral, very kind of high fashion horror art. You know, we have our horror art like Midsummer and Hereditary and, and those. And this was like kind of snobby horror art, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, but it was enthralling to watch. There was very minimal dialogue, which I thought was cool, because uh, it really allowed you to use your other senses to try and interpret the horror. Um, but the plot was not very complicated. I'm not 100% sure of still what happened, but I, I can't stop thinking about it. So it's a good one. It's a good one. It's very cerebral, though. You know, maybe... Maybe watch it with a buzz or when you're not fully cognizant of your body. <laughs> yeah, that's one I've been wanting to see. I, I actually listened to an interview, so I, I had a couple things spoiled about it. Uh, but, you know, with, with the writer-director of it. And actually, um, Seder, the, you know, the, the entity itself, is a real thing that is actually, like, a thing that, like, his grandmother was in love with. <gasps> Oh, interesting, because I tried to look it up, and I couldn't find any sort of, like, demonic origin for it. So yeah. that's even spookier. Ooh, that's cool. I'll, I'll send you that interview. Um, it, it was uh, done on Nightmare on Film Street, uh, which is a great horror podcast. Uh, but, yeah, so they, they interviewed him. It was fascinating to listen to, and I was like, I have to see that movie. It's a trip. Let's just say, like, everything I learned about it just made me go, oh, this was... This was a weird one, but like, also yeah, that it's... guy literally did everything. Like, other than acting, he he wrote it, he directed it, he built the sets, he did the effects, he did the sound work, he did everything. Yeah, it is definitely bizarre. Uh, it is like abstract modernism art in horror cinema form. Uh, again. I don't really know what happened or what the, the whole point was, but I can't stop thinking about the damn thing. So we should do an episode about it because it was trippy. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, Nathaniel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I it, It's high on my to-watch list. I I will definitely get to that one soon. Um, So I have been staying spooky lately, mostly through uh, listening to uh, an audio book. I, I finally listened to the second book in a series that I started a long time ago. 
or no, I don't know, about like six months ago. It feels like a long time because I read many books. <laughs> but the the book that I listened to um, is in a, a series called the Pine Deep Trilogy. It is by uh, Jonathan Mayberry, and oh man, it's so good. So the, the first book is called Ghost Road Blues. The second one, which is the one I just listened to, is Dead Man's Song. The third one is Bad Moon Rising. Um, it is so good. Uh, so well written. Creepy. Great characters. Basically, the idea is uh, there's this town called Pine Deep that has like a reputation for being one of the most haunted towns in America. And they've kind of, like, leaned into that in a very kind of, like, Salem sort of way where, you know, they have, like, a big Halloween festival every year and, like, have, like, big horror icons come and do events, you know, every October and that kind of thing. And so, like, one of our main characters is a guy who runs this haunted hay uh, hayride and owns, like, a comic shop. But basically, this serial killer is uh, uh, escaping the law and uh his he, he kind of just like is drawn to this place and ends up like just kind of by it seems like happenstance crash into this town and then he starts to hear this voice calling him you know to basically serve him and, and do all these unspeakable horrible things in this town like you know serving this this mysterious like evil master and so, like, it, it it all is connected to uh, the, the past of the town where there was some, like, really brutal serial killings, like, 30 years before. I don't know. It's it's so freaking good. I, I, I really can't recommend it highly enough. It, it won Stoker Award for Best First Novel, Ghost Road Blues did. Um, I think the, the subsequent books also won Stoker Awards. Like, Jonathan Mayberry's freaking so good at writing his his metaphors are some of the the best most unique metaphors i've ever seen which i, I like i know this is like literary nerd just me me you know being an english teacher nerding out about how good the the metaphors are but seriously it's so freaking good and it's creepy and the monsters are good and it's unique and oh it is so freaking good <laughs> well i'm gonna have to look for it yes yes highly recommend um, the audiobooks, you know, I've, I've listened to the first two books on audio, and the, the reader was really good. It's some great uh, voice work and stuff. It just, it's a banger. It's a, it's a banger. Like, the, <laughs> those books are just so good. I, I, I'm going to ramble it for longer if you let me. But we should probably not let me do that. Yep, you're cut off. <sighs> okay, God. <laughs> All right, well, I want to apologize because I feel like we just ragged on a movie the entire episode. But really, guys, The Conjuring 3, it does not do great. But it's at least a better movie than The Nun and The Curse of La Llorona, that as we true. will eventually get into in our fifth part of Journey into the Conjuring verse. And I'm sure it will not be the last journey. In the meantime, everyone, stay spooky. Stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You could also support the show by going to Patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. 
stay spooky.